Amen. Good morning, Calvary. How are you? My name is Daniel Berry. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary, and we are so honored that you're here. If you're a guest, we would like to say welcome. We are glad you're here. We know we have guests every week. The person next to you is not saying hi to you. Maybe they're a guest too. Introduce yourself and make them feel welcome as well. Uh, when we gather, what, have you ever thought to yourself, what's the purpose of the church? I always describe the church as a community of misfits gathered together to draw closer to God and to each other. Let me, let me put that to you uh, again. The church is really a community of misfits gathered together to draw closer to God and to each other. In other words, we don't have life figured out. We don't. And maybe you've gone to church trying to figure out life, but the good news is there is one who has life figured out, and so we trust in him. So why do we gather? We gather because we believe that connecting with the God of this universe changes us for now and forevermore. And I don't care which church you go to, they should have a very similar kind of mission statement to what we have. So if you're ever looking for another church, maybe you're moving or that kind of thing, and look for a church that really teaches you to follow Jesus because he is the change. So around here, you may notice the new artwork we have up there that says followers making followers of Jesus. That is our main statement. That is our main vision. We want to help people emulate Jesus. And as we're trying to emulate Jesus, we're going to grab as many people we can to say, come along with me as, as we go to do that. That should be the main predominant theme. But in the corner back there above the bathrooms, you'll see we have our four sub-statements. The four sub-statements help us to know how we are accomplishing the followers making followers of Jesus. So the four sub-statements look like this. Followers follow Jesus. That's called discipleship, becoming more like him. Followers serve God and others. Wait for it, that's serving. Followers give sacrificially. That's giving of yourself, being willing to sacrifice. And followers share what they know. That's called evangelism. The idea of, we believe that the good news of Jesus should resonate not only in our life, but should pour out of our lives into the lives of others. So these are our four sub-statements. But I've known a lot of churches that know that these are similar themes. Once again, if you go looking for a church, these are similar themes that should be taught all the time in whatever Bible-believing, Christian-believing church you go to. But I know a lot of churches that sit there and go, we, we know that, but doing it is a different level. And so this month, we're going to look at these four sub-statements, and we're going to help us to do it, but we're going to do it a different way because we've turned a lot of the time the following Jesus into a checklist. What do I need to do? Show up at church Sunday morning, check, put money in the offering plate, check minus, um, serving, check, you know, all these things that we, we go through, we walk through the motions and we try to, what's the checklist? What's the, the I can do to know I'm a good follower of Christ? And, and in doing so, I think we missed out on the beautiful picture of what the gospel is really about. And so I want us to take this at another level and say it's not a checklist, but it's a relationship. You see, following Jesus means that we are intimately connected with him. So we're going to add two words to our four follower statements for this month. It's a way to know that we've accomplished it. And those two words are in love. Followers follow Jesus in love. Followers share what they know in love. Followers give sacrificially in love, etc. This is the idea of helping us to articulate that it's not just a list of rules and regulations, but it is a relationship. And when you think of love, if you've been to a wedding— or if you've grown up in the church, you may think of 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 mostly this month. 
If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's free ones in the back. We'd love for you to take one home. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to talk about marriage, but rather the covenant relationship or the intimate relationship we are designed to have with our Father in heaven. So Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, and the church of Corinth is a mess. How do we know it? It's probably the thickest book in the New Testament outside of the four Gospels because they had a lot of problems, a lot of things to address. In 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he says to the church. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here's the idea of people going through the follower statements. I I give sacrificially. I gave it all away. I served. I did it diligently. But if you don't do it in love, it's saying you have nothing. You don't understand what this story, this message, this understanding of this intimate relationship with God the Father is really all about. You see, as we follow Christ, we are to follow his example and we are to follow him in love. Why don't we do this? Because we don't understand love. Isn't love confusing in our society? Yes. All the high school kids went, absolutely, right? Love is confusing. Why? Because we say, I love pizza. And I love my spouse. If you love your spouse the same way you love pizza, your relationship's in trouble. I just want to throw that out there. I mean, I don't care how much you love pepperoni. It's not that good a relationship, okay? And so we need to understand that in the Bible, there's different levels of love. There's actually four, but most of the Bible is described in these three terms of love. The first level is called eros love, which is passion. It's where we get the word erotic. It's I love love. I, my feelings say go this way, I'm going to go this way. Ooh, cake, you know, that kind of thing. It's, that's the kind of love. Eros love is what first may attract you to someone of the opposite sex. It's the one where you start getting a flirtation that has to grow into a deeper meaning relationship. Phileo is brotherly love. I lived with my twin brother in college and people said, why did you do that? Here's why. We got really mad at each other quite often. One time we even almost got in a fist fight in our dorm room. And then afterwards we went for wings. Why? Well, we're guys, and that's the way we express brotherly love. You know, you work it out, you punch it out, then you go eat. That's, that's life, because we, we were in this for the long haul together. We were, we were going to be doing that, and so that's good. By the way, there's people coming in. If y'all could scoot in, especially if you're in the back, make room, that'd be great. And this idea of brotherly love is this idea of I'm going to relate to you. I'm going to, you're, you and I are in this together, and we're going to get this accomplished. But agape love, agape love is this idea of un conditional love, no matter what I do. Now, here's the beautiful picture of agape love. Agape love says no matter what you do, no matter how many boxes you check off or don't check off, the love doesn't change. When Paul is writing this passage to the church of Corinth, he's saying love with agape love, love with the unconditional love. Now, how are we to do that? We can't, apart from first knowing God's love for us. Why? Sin. Sin is falling short of God's ultimate design for our lives. Sin is where we've made mistakes. Sin is where we've missed the mark. And sin has robbed us. Not just our sin, but other people's sin. Have you noticed that? In life, your family was dysfunctional. 
your current family is dysfunctional. It's just whether or not you put the fun in dysfunction or not. That's really with a question. Every family is dysfunctional. Why? Because of sin. And somewhere along the lines, maybe when daddy walked out the door when you were three or four years old, maybe when abuse happened, or maybe just when you had a uh, dysfunctional relationship, or maybe when that girlfriend walked away, or that maybe somewhere along, you learned that you have to earn love. At least that's what you thought. Why? Because if I earn love, then maybe I could, maybe I could be enough, do enough to earn people's favor, to earn their affection, and then I can feel uh, excited, and, and I can feel content. And so we go around this world trying to earn love. Have you ever noticed this? This permeates our relationships. This is why we have a thousand friends on social media, because we never know which one is going to be the one that connects us. We, we worry about things like loneliness, and we worry about things like people. How can I protect? How can I safeguard my relationship? How can I not feel lonely? How can I not feel depressed? We, we struggle in our marriage. How can I earn this? How can I find a way to find validation of the person that I'm supposed to be? The truth is you can't earn it. What validates you is you were made in the image of God. And the image of God means that you were made with love. He created you. And loves you exactly for the man or the woman or the boy or the girl that you are. But, yeah, but, no matter what, he loves you. And so this idea of agape love is really coming to a place where we say, okay, I want to follow Jesus so closely that his love trickles into my life. And then I'm not going to struggle with things like loneliness, worry, or what people might think about me. I'm going to care for people. That's going to come out. But I'm, I'm going to find my worth and my value in being made in the image of God and that I am loved no matter what I do or don't do. And I'm going to follow him because this relationship is where I find my worth. So what does that look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, if we were to take that list and break it down, and we were to, that would be a good sermon. Matter of fact, we could do two weeks sermons on it. The what love is not and what love is. And you'd find that there's 13 things there that he describes with love. So what we're going to do is talk about those 13 things and create a new checklist of what we shouldn't and shouldn't do to try to earn our love. That's the typical way that church does it, right? So I want to argue that this is not what it's really about. But first and foremost, before we get into what this is really about, I want us to look at the list of what love is not. Because sometimes it's easier to find love by looking at what it's not. What he's actually doing here is describing the effect of what it looks like to follow God closely. Not the cause. You catch me? So love is not. Love is not the following, with a little help from the Bible.org. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, self-seeking, irritable, or keeping a record of wrongs. So I've defined those out to the side just to make sure we're all on the same page. My favorite one is the one with rude, to behave with unseemly guys. Ooh. Uh, it's not provoking someone to anger, anybody? You know, doing this to your spouse is provoking anger. I just want to show you that. It's not occupying oneself with past discretions. It's not doing any of those things. So easy enough. 
<laughs> I'm sure no one in this room has done any of those things on this list this week, right? One person laughed. I appreciate that. <laughs> the reality is, I would dare say 99%, if not 100%, would be guilty of doing at least one thing on this list this last week. So what do we do? Well, maybe we, we shouldn't focus on what love not, is not. Maybe we should focus on what love is. So here's what love is. Uh, love defined is patient, kind, rejoicing in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. The words all things there kind of make it a little bit difficult to me. It's the idea of longing and expecting for the best, to remain committed no matter the circumstances, to protecting what the idea of your relationship and how you were made, to being delighted in the real reality, to show oneself as nice. <laughs> how you doing? And it goes without ceasing. And I think we look at the list and we go, yes, I want that. I want everybody else to behave like that, but I can't attain it. I want the church to look like that. And we go to church and we go, they were rude to me. They don't love Jesus. I'm going to find another church. Well, you may be rude in telling us that we're rude. And the reality is we are rude at times. And I want to say I'm sorry. But I'm broken just like you. And that guy or that girl sitting next to you is broken just like you, whether you came with them or not. That person in this room is all we're all broken and in desperate lead of love. So, as we look at this, we begin to go, okay, which of our lifestyles are we more like? And we put the list next to each other, and we sit there and go, are we more like the life that is not contrary, that lives contrary to love, or more like the life living in love? Are we more envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, self-seeking, irritable, keeping a wrong? Are we more patient, kind, rejoicing in truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, and never ending? And I want to ask you, because right from the start, it's not a, are, which one are you more like? But that's a start to kind of gauge where you are. Do you look more like Jesus or more like the world? The reality is, you can't fix your brokenness with a list of rules. If you've gone to churches that have tried to do that, and I've probably been guilty of it in the past, and I want to say I'm sorry. Rules do not help you find Jesus. Jesus will lead you to the rules. And as Jesus leads you to the rules, he'll help you find Jesus more. But rules are not the starting place to find Jesus. Does that make sense? When you find Jesus, he's going to say, obey me. And in obeying him, you can find him more. But it's seldom that someone's able to go, do this and you'll find Jesus. And you're sitting there going, I don't know. I want you today to feel the love of your creator wrapping his arms around you, enveloping your life to where as you breathe in, you almost feel his presence. You almost feel the tangible expression of son, daughter, you are loved. I think our churches are broken because we feel like we have to earn it. You don't. You need to receive it. So why don't we? Let me explain to you very clearly the progress, pro progress, progress, that too, of the way that you teach people things. 
when I have a three-year-old child in my house, when I had a three-year-old child in my house who's running with scissors, I tell them, don't run with scissors, right? Why? <laughs> I don't know why I wouldn't run with scissors. I don't sit there and go, now here's why you don't run with scissors. And here's how, I might try to teach them a little how to carry the scissors, but I don't tell them how to know what is safe and what is not safe at that moment. I just say, don't run with scissors. So it is with our faith. A lot of times we tell people what to believe without telling them the why and the how. And it, right now we have the middle school group that's meeting student community. And in middle school is about the time that uh, cognitively, intellectually, they're able to start learning the why. So when I was a little kid, my parents said, read your Bible. I went, okay. Why did I go, okay? Because I did what mom and dad said. And somewhere along middle school, my, my parents started saying, read your Bible. And I said, why? Now, some of you were like, I started asking why at age three. I go, you're an advanced class, okay? But the why, why do I need to do this? Because that's what will draw you into the presence of God. It helps you know what he's saying. What naturally happens as the, you progress out of the why is as you get older, you start learning the how. Our goal isn't to give you a list of rules and to tell you what to do. Our goal is to let you know the why and the how of chasing after Jesus in his love relationship will change you. And the rules that God gives us are there to support that idea that you were made to believe and to receive and to create love. Create love. That's confusing, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> you sit there and go, that's, the, that's a rule, right? No, it's saying be filled up with the power of God. As you chase after God, let him envelop you. And out of that, out of that outpouring, you will help other people know the power of love. So I have a very exciting news for you today. The lesson's the same whether you're a first-time person hearing about Jesus or you've been in church for your entire life, because we all need the same lesson here. Here's what it looks like, the why and the how to receive the love of God. You first, you got to believe. Second, you got to receive. And third, you got to pour it out, creating love in the other people. So let me ask you this question today. When was the last time you really believed you were loved? That you weren't really worried about what everybody else was thinking. I saw a great quote this week. I believe it was by Craig Rochelle. It says, the more you think about what other people are thinking about you, the less you're going to grow in your relationship with God. It doesn't mean that we don't care what people think, but the idea of, of chasing after God is designed to help people find God. When was the last time you really believed that you were loved? We struggle with this. I, I've articulated this numerous times, but let me tell you a, a real quick story about a time when this became difficult for me. My first date. I, I went on a date when I was 16. I dated a girl in my church. Um, and somewhere along the line, her dad liked me more than her, which sounds weird. But her dad was like, dude, I like that redhead kid. He's legit and he is like a rule follower, so date him. Well, strangely enough, the girl didn't like that. Um, her daddy liked me. And so, <laughs> I don't know. And so she did everything in her power to sabotage our first date. 
Uh, and she, in fact, she went around to the entire youth group and said, I don't really want to date him. My dad's making him date me date him. Now, if you're a high school girl in this group, can I say for every male in the room, please don't do that. <laughs> it does damage. And I did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Says the college students. Um, we've all been there. Have we not? We've all been damaged by someone else trying to find love and trying to find value and trying and in doing so and trying to receive it. They've used you. They've taken advantage of you. And you feel like yesterday's news. And because that memory is stuck in our brains, we have a hard time believing that someone actually cares for us. You know when that changed for me? When I found my wife, yeah, sure. But uh, even broader than that, the day I held my son, my oldest for the first time. And when I held him in my arms right then and there, I was like, oh, my parents really do love me unconditionally. (laughs) Because I remember being in that... um, birthing room, I don't know the name of it right now, and looking at his little pruny fingers, his little tiny, tiny toes, and thinking, I will die for you. There is nothing this boy is ever going to do that make me not love him. And I didn't even carry him around for nine months. And here's what's amazing. That is just a penny or a drop in the bucket compared to the Father's love for you. He created you in your mother's womb. He made you carefully. And sometimes we try to find our worth and our validation from other people and other places and other times. And and it hinders us from believing, child, you are loved. You don't have to earn it. It's not how much you give. It's not, we do those things because we want to pour out. We serve because we want to pour out. We, we follow and we do all those other things because we've grasped the concept that God sits there and he says, I love you. So maybe today we need to receive the healing love, the overwhelming presence. And I pray like a morning dew, his presence will drop on you and you will feel his presence. I haven't mentioned this, and I'm not going to share names. There's a, a couple who used to go to our church. They've moved since then, and um, he's dying of cancer. And I've been texting um, them. My wife's been texting her. And uh, he's probably going to pass away next week. And as I was texting him, I, I was like, I don't even know what to say. And finally, I wrote these words, so-and-so. My prayer for you is that the presence of God overwhelms you. That in the days to come, you know you are loved. Why? Because that's what I want him to feel in his last days. but it's what we need to feel all the time. 
when was the last time you believed you are loved? When was the last time you received it? It's hard to share love with anyone. It's hard to share love even with our kids or our spouses, that girlfriend or boyfriend, the best friend. If we aren't receiving love, as Snickers, it captures this when they talk about the hangry. You're not yourself when you're hangry. And so it is with love. You're, you're to take in love because when you take in love, you're able to give love. And sometimes the church is hangry because they haven't taken in love. It's getting alone in the presence of God and letting his presence overwhelm you. It's getting in the understanding and hearing praise and worship. That's why we praise and we worship, to, to, to be in the presence of God and to say, child, fill you up so you can pour out. When was the last time you did that? You know how I know is when I feel filled up with the power of God, I'm like, I've got to tell other people, it's awesome. I start to pour out. So in John 4, Jesus describes the woman at the well. He says, what you need is living water. And so you've seen the illustration if you've been around a while or you've heard illustrations, or maybe not. Maybe this is a new illustration. We're like a vessel designed to be filled with the power of God. And as we get filled, we pour out into the world. That's awesome. Except every time as a little kid, because I'm a little... um, obsessive compulsive at times. I'm like, I don't want to make a huge mess. So God can just fill me to the rim and let me stop there, right? And I think what we need to understand is we were made to be filled, to receive, believe, and pour out love. And when God asks us to pour out love, he wants to do so in a creative way. That's what John says, love one another. How can I love? Because God has filled you. And so the word there I want to use, we can all laugh about middle, we're talking about middle school jokes, say the middle school joke, the word I wanted to use, I didn't use. I wanted to say God wants us to make love, but I can't use that word. So I'm going to say God wants us to create love. And when I say the word create love, I'm not taking originate, right? Because God is the originator of love. When I say creative love, I want you to think of the musician. Because when a musician, if you don't know anything about music, there's 13 notes. There's eight white keys and five black keys if you're on a keyboard, Okay. And out of those 13 notes, think about how many different songs have been written, how many different beats, how many different things. And the author of God created those 13 notes and then gives us the ultimate expression of how to articulate that. Think of a a blank canvas and the artist, he has a limited number of colors, although a vast number of colors. When I grew up, there were eight colors, right? Hello, Crayola. Now you have like 128. Where were you when I was a kid? Um, Maybe I'd actually be a good artist. No, I wouldn't. But the the idea that there's a lot of art, there's a lot of color, and the artist can see this picture, and he takes the blank canvas, but he's ultimately taken the creativity of the author. What does the farmer do? The farmer takes the work, the creation, and he, he works the land, and he plants the seed, or she plants the seed, and watches as those crops grow up to fruition, right? The farmer works the land, but God grows the crops. That's the, the same idea of creating here. It's the idea that God invites you and me to be filled with his presence and then make something beautiful in this world, to be an image of what he is like, to, to paint the picture of the power of love. Knowing that we only can hold a little reflection of the power of God's love and what he did for us on the cross. So here's your challenge this week, church. 
believe that God loves you in your brokenness, in your disarray, in your, I haven't been to church in six months. I'm amazed lightning didn't strike me on the way here. And I can't believe I said that to her this morning. I can't believe I did that. Believe you are still loved. Repent if you need to. But receive the love of God. Knowing he is the only one that will validate you and fill you up. Because we believe the Father sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And through that brokenness on the cross, he created a way for you and I to be connected with him in an eternal relationship from now and forevermore. And as that love begins to overwhelm you, as you're drawn into his presence, as you pursue him, as you follow Jesus, and yes, you'll get the rules. And yes, but those aren't rules that you sit there and go, I hate this. You're going to go, I understand this. It draws me into the presence of God. Then creatively express it in this world. Because you know what used to frustrate me is go love the whole world. How? I have a hard time loving all of you. Okay, confession, real quick. I'm going to run over time if I'm not careful, but confession. I get waved at all the time now, and I don't know if they're people in this church or not. I wave sometimes strangely people, and I go, boy, I hope they go to our church because I don't know. There are a lot of, I can't possibly, so I get frustrated. So, but let me just give you a tangible expression of what this might look like. Uh, The Monday morning application, believe, receive, and pour out intentionally in love this week. Intentionally pour out love into one family member. What about the other kids? Maybe you can love them next week. But if you divide yourself, you will find you are own. And there's always that time, that one kid who comes home that needs a little extra love. Do it. A spouse, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. Some of our marriages, let me just say, especially to the husbands in the room, because I don't know why, I just feel like you should. You need to really invest in your wife this week. Because you're letting everything else get all your attention. Intentionally pour love into an acquaintance this week. The teacher, the, the gas station attendant, the person at work. And then intentionally pour out your love into one person that is difficult. People aren't supposed to be difficult. Yeah, what planet are you living on? People are difficult, and all God's people said, yeah, that person. <laughs> you don't tell them, you're my difficult person I'm supposed to love on this week. <laughs> <laughs> You just pour into them. Why? Because love is a choice. You don't think you're difficult to love? What happens if the church really follows Jesus' example in love and stops making love a checklist, but makes it about relationship? It's amazing. So let him receive him. And intentionally pour it out this week. Father, move in our lives today. Take this moment, this time, as an offering to you. As we rejoice in the simple truth that we are loved, we know it's not so simple to receive it sometimes. So in the name of Jesus, God, help us to cast aside the distractions the whispers of the enemy and to hear clearly from you, to feel your presence, to fill us up, to fill our marriages for those who are married, to fill our friendships, to fill 
our relationships with our kids, our loved ones. We need you. In fact, we can't do it without you. Be our source of strength, our hope, and change us forevermore. In your loving and holy name we pray. Amen.